Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are on our last episode, episode 10 of this whole season. It's been a great journey with everyone and with all the guests that we've had coming. Uh, my name is Justine. My name is Mark. Michael. Karen. Yusuf. Theo. And today is actually a little bit different. We asked that you guys submit some questions so that we could answer them, kind of dis- not really answer, just kind of discuss them. So today our topic isn't really on one specific topic. We're just answering questions that have been sent to us. And as always, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at sinners.anonymous and the rest of our socials are also linked in our bio. All right. All right. So yeah, episode 10, it's been a great season. Thank you all for, uh, for watching. Um, we're going to make this a fun one today. We got a, we got a, a few special guests, and uh, we are going to answer some questions. And by the way, we're going to do this in the future again. We'll even find out a way to bring you in live so you guys can uh, get on the show and actually ask your questions live. Uh, we have a way for you to call in. But uh, tune in for that, as well as a whole bunch of new changes and new things for Season 2. You guys are, you should be really, uh, hopefully you're excited to see what we got coming up for you soon. Okay, so let's go to our first question. So our first question that was submitted was social media is pervasive in society now. What are some possible negative effects it has on Christian youth? And there are a couple of other questions answered, so I'll just read it real quick and then we can answer it each question on its own. Um, the second part was, would this affect our spiritual lives to the point of condemnation in any way? And is it better to avoid social media if it affects some people negatively? Um, we also had an episode, episode nine, was also on pop culture and uh, the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but what do you guys think? Social media. Uh, I think some of the negative effects is when you see like on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, people are always posting like kind of the highlights of their life. And so we tend to compare ourselves to that. And we think, you know, if, if we're not having all these accomplishments or we're not traveling or not posting these pictures, then, you know, like we're, we're losers, basically. Um, so that's, that's one thing is like you're constantly comparing yourself to pictures and posts that are not really the full day to day of someone's life. Have you guys seen that one video um, that kind of circulated about social media where it it showed like one person waking up in the morning and they posted some kind of picture and someone on their social media, I think it was Instagram or something, saw that picture and then they felt like they needed to post something. So she was having a fight with her boyfriend or husband or something. She was like, here, come pretend that you love me. Take a picture. (laughs) And then some friends went out for dinner and they're all on their phones, but then they like took a selfie as if they're all interacting. Have you guys seen that video? You know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. Awkward. Um, well, there's, there's a video that does that, that portrays that. And it's like you were saying, Karen, it's really interesting to see how people only put not even just highlights of their life, but like another version of their life. It's not even the reality. An alternate reality. Exactly. Reality yeah. It's, it's not the reality of what their life is like. I, it's, it's a strange world. Um, you think it makes us think that everyone else has it put together. Everyone else um, is not going through any troubles and we feel more alone. So you might have a thousand friends on, on social media or followers or whatever, but you still feel all alone because all you're seeing is everyone's putting out their positive face. And so you think you're the only one that has problems. Yeah, that's so true. And that can cause internal damage, you know, definitely. What do our uh, esteemed guests have to say about this? What do you What do you think, Yusuf and Mark? Sorry. 
I mean, honestly, great points. <laughs> I didn't get used to it, yet, but this is why we brought Yusuf, guys, <laughs> for nothing. It's all just like fake news, in my opinion. People just go on vacations and stuff, and just post like they don't even enjoy life anymore. It's just I gotta post today, I gotta post tomorrow. They're just all fake news. Nothing's really like real anymore. Nobody's gonna post like the bad times in their lives. It's just all the fake pictures, the photoshops and stuff. Yeah. And that's what ruins people's like self-esteem and stuff. So would it yeah. be a good idea to start posting your negative stuff? No, people do post their negative I was just about to say people do post their negative stuff. And when they do post their negative stuff, it, it, it somehow turns to like this uh, cry for affection or oh, attention yeah. or, mm -hmm. or, uh, or, or they're trying to sell you something or, or whatever. Look, 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 you guys know my opinion on it, right? And this is just my opinion. This is not like the official Coptic Orthodox Church opinion on it. My if opinion, not, go to episode nine. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> go to episode nine where I pretty much rant about this whole time. Look, <laughs> social media, in my perspective, is very addictive. It is like, it is crack. Uh, there's actually an incredible article written about um, social media being Digital heroin, it's called, um, because of how addictive it can be. And there's more than enough studies out there about its negative effects on uh, adults. Uh, but just now, or recently, I mean, this was in the news uh, with Zuckerberg and Facebook, the Facebook whistleblower, whistleblower that came out and said, um, you know, uh, Facebook is 100% aware of what, uh, you know, social media and their products are doing to teenagers and their psychology, and, and they don't care. They're just, they're just, Plugging away, they're finding more ways to get people addicted. So m my opinion is this. If you have a drug, and it's a rampant drug, and it's accessible by many, uh, and you have a proclivity to be addicted to that drug, don't do it. I mean, if people were addicted to heroin, what would the answer be? Maybe you should use a little bit less heroin. Mm -hmm. No. It's like it, it's either replace it with methadone, so replace your addiction to social media with, with something else. Maybe, you know, sermons or, or things on YouTube that are beneficial or, 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 you know, reading or whatever it is, whatever you're, you like. So replace it with that and slowly win yourself off of it. Um, or uh, essentially don't do it at all. And, and I think the, the problem, in my opinion, is, yes, I agree. I agree with everybody here. Uh, social media is fake. Social media is, uh, serves to divide us. A lot of the time, it's blue against red, red against blue, men against women, like every single possible way. Uh, it also serves to isolate us and make us feel alone because everyone's having this great digital life, but their real life is just absolute garbage, just like the Matrix. You know what I mean? It's like you're in this, you're in this Matrix and you think, wow, I'm keeping up with the Joneses and everyone's having great and like uh, Skims and Kylie Lipkits and <laughs> all the 1,200 other things that are being sold to you at, at any one given time, right? And people are like, yeah, buy this thing. It'll make you happy. Okay, I buy it. Nope, doesn't, no difference. No difference, right? And, and it just starts to isolate us and make us uh, uh, you know, stuck in this rat race where we're just keeping up with the Joneses. And the last thing is it makes us lose perspective. Like it's crazy how one's entire day can be ruined by either not getting enough likes or getting too many bad comments or someone else getting more comments than they are, their whole entire day, possibly the whole entire week, is, is ruined. Like, that is not acceptable. Because meanwhile, well, you care about how many likes you're getting. Uh, if you open up your perspective, there are people there that can't eat. There are people out there that, that are, are just having a miserable time at life. There are people out there uh, that are, don't have nowhere near the blessings that you have, and they're not miserable. But here you are miserable while you have everything in the world provided for you because someone didn't like your uh, swimsuit picture. So honestly, guys, you know, my, my, my perspective, just to summarize, is just get away from it. 
So that actually answers the question, part of that question. It said, what happens if, uh, what was the question exactly? So, yeah, I was just going to say that the second part, it, the first question was, what are some of the possible negative effects it has on Christian youth? So we've kind of addressed that. Then the second part says, would this affect our spiritual lives to the point of condemnation in any way? And is it better to avoid social media if it affects some people negatively? So, yeah, it definitely can affect, it can lead to condemnation if it's going to cause you into falling into sin. And if it's going to cause you to fall into despair and to despair of life and to despair of hope and to lose sight of God and to get to the point where I've seen so many suicidal teenagers from um, just the constant bombardment of the messages on social media and the, the, the media in general that to the point that they feel hopeless they don't feel that there's any need to live anymore and it's been proven that ever since um cell phones and social media have combined together to make it so that it's in our face all the time that the suicide rate among teenagers has skyrocketed yeah. or um, depression too yeah or depression yeah and i mean uh, uh cyber bullying as well uh when you when people cyber bully you uh to suicide you can see it in the newspapers because of social networks like and so it, it, it like like jesus said if your eye causes you to sin pluck it out so if this is yes there can be good things we can learn th things from it there are good sites uh, or good pages on facebook or good um people to follow but if it's going to make you fall into sin make you fall into despair then you do need to cut it out. So, so I, I think we're coming too hard on the negative. Let's hear some, some maybe alternative uh, perspectives. Um, is there any good to social media? Does it have a point? Does it can exist in our lives without corrupting us or, or condemning us? Because I mean, uh, I don't want to give the impression that you know everything's going to lead to hell and mm -hmm. you better run away from everything. That's not orthodoxy. It's not. And if and if you, and if that's what you think orthodoxy is, at some point in time. Uh, you, you may kind of, you probably kind of lost track of what orthodoxy really means. So, so is there a way to exist with social media in your life and not be corrupted by it? Yeah, I definitely think that there's creating a balance is what's very important. Um, I think social media is a good way to to express yourself in some forms. You know, uh, if if you're I don't know artistic or you like designing houses or something like that. You know, it's it's a way to get ideas out there. Um, if you're looking for something, searching for something, it helps you with searching for for kind of like Pinterest ideas in a sense. Mm -hmm. Connecting with friends, keeping in touch with people. It definitely has its perks, but again, it's creating that balance of where does it cause me like mike said not only to sin but to replace god in my life like how many how many hours do i spend on social media that i could be spending getting closer to god growing and so it's not it, it doesn't even have to be spiritual it can be intellectual instead of learning or you know going through social media why don't i learn how to speak another language or uh pick up a book and read it or uh learn to to i don't know play the piano paint whatever exercise do whatever um and i think a lot of us need to understand that creating that balance is very important uh, not only just with social media but everything in our lives and understanding that again social media can sometimes be so addicting that it can replace God's position in our lives. But if you create a good balance, you know, I think it's fine. What do you think, Karen? Yeah, I agree. I mean, we can't just say social media is bad. I mean, definitely has its perks, you know, allows you to talk to people that are across the world, allows you to, um, 
like Justine said, express yourself. A lot of people can also use it as um, a form of therapy. You know, they can create like anonymous accounts and just rant. You know, sometimes they don't have anyone to talk to. There's there's definitely definitely perks there. Um, it's just about how you manage your social media because it can very easily get toxic and you know like mike was saying people can just bombard you with messages and it can get really toxic to the point where you think like real life isn't even worth it anymore because your virtual life is so messy so yeah definitely just be cautious um the internet is like you know it's such an old saying but whatever you put on there stays there so definitely be careful and people as as we move on as like technology spreads more and there's more power to it a lot of people can do a lot of things just from their phone so just be mindful. Don't put yourself in situations that could hurt you, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, let, let's move on because I mean, this is turning into a wrapping up <laughs> into another episode. So that that's it. That's yeah. what we think about social media. I got I got one here. Uh, we got a question here about politics. Is does the church want us to be red or green, Democrat or Republican? What is correct? Green. <laughs> <laughs> I think this person meant red or blue. But, but. <laughs> when you combine red and you get it. Okay, anyway. Um, uh, Michael, Michael, I, I know you are a politicist at heart. Uh, what do you think? What, what, what is the church's view on politics? So I wouldn't say that the church wants us to be red or blue or aquamarine or any color in, ge in general. The church is not in politics. What's important, though, is that the way that our country runs is that we are supposed to be involved in the in the government. And so we have a vote, we have a say, and it is important for us to vote according to our conscience, vote according to Christian morals, vote for people who will support things that help to grow us as a country, help to grow um, us as a people, help to grow, to grow good morals in our country and not things that tend to create more chaos, create more destruction, create um, a worse environment. And I would say that you can't say that every red is great and every blue is bad or every blue is great and every red is bad. It doesn't work that way. Nothing in life works that way. And so it kind of piggies back into what we were talking about just now. It's, it's, social media leads us to feel that we're in two camps and one's on all the way on this side and the other one's all the way on this side and there's no meeting in the middle. And the truth is that most of us are somewhere in the middle. I think with politics, politi I think politics nowadays has gotten really uh, hairy <laughs> with, um, you know, people are very polar and if you don't agree with their political views, you're their enemy, you know. But that's not who we're supposed to be as Christians. We're not here to fight over who's going to lead our country, whose leader was the best leader. Um, I think in the end, it all comes down to, like Mike said, who can best represent the morals that align with our own as Christians. So they're good from each side and they're bad from each side. It's not necessarily that one side is better than the other, but it's a matter of, I guess, which one is the better of the two. The, the lesser evil, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't necessarily have to be the lesser of two evils. Uh, just walking in here, I saw a big sign that said, "Be the change that you want the uh, you want the world to be." And I think we be the change you want you want to see in the world. And that's what we need to be. We need to be the change. And so if you're called to be in politics, that may be something that you, that you should do. Um, and 
we can affect some changes positively. We've just been talking about how all the negative things that have been going on in society, and we can be that positive change, and we don't have to sit on the sidelines. Yeah, at the same time, um, I think it's important to address the giant elephant in the room. And no, I don't mean Republicans. What I mean is... <laughs> or the, the donkeys <laughs> in the room. Yeah, the donkeys. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are like, no, we have to protect the rights of the Sherish. You have to be a Republican. <laughs> and and there's just this, I, I guess, this conception that uh, there's one party or the other. One party is good and the other party is evil. Sometimes you go on Facebook and... Uh, that's all you see. Like some people are very, very, very Christian, very, very religious, and, and, and they're just posting rhetoric after rhetoric after divisive rhetoric. And I think it's important to call that out and say, "Where's, where's Christ in that?" Like, uh, listen, we're not trying to come for you here, but we need to. We need one thing we do is keep it real on the show. Where, where is the Christ in that? Someone tell me where the Christ is in that. When you're when you're disrespectful to the other other people, or when you're calling people idiots, or when you're uh, essentially mocking someone, like do unto others as you would want done to you, right? It doesn't matter if they're right or wrong. It's not do unto others what you want done to you as long as they're right. No, like even your enemies, you're supposed to be extra kind to. You know, love your enemies, right? And, and there's this misconception that these people are against Christian rights. What, regardless if that's true or not, there's no place for hate. There's absolutely no place for hate. And that needs to be uh, understood before all else. You are a Christian before you are a Republican or a Democrat or a doctor or a lawyer. Or you are a Christian first. That is your identity. There, there is nothing more important than, than that. And that means you must embody both privately and publicly those rights. And if you're spreading misinformation, or if you're saying something that's divisiveness, it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong, that's divisive. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. You are not living according to God's values. And that needs to be understood, and that needs to be respected. Um, because more and more people are pulling away from Christianity, not because they hate Jesus Christ, but because they hate the people that call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. And if our behavior does not reflect that of our Father— and, and what we're actually taught in the church, which is love and, and gentleness and kindness, then, then you know what? We are not representing our Father very well. So that needs to be understood and that needs to be respected. And uh, if you have to choose between being a Christian and being a, Rep a Republican, choose being a Christian because Habibi, they're not the same thing. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting because in the world of politics, it gets very hard. You've got some people who seem to be very kind and kind-hearted and yet they're pushing for things that will be hurtful. And you have other people who are very mean-spirited and are pushing for, oh, this is this is what's right. And both both ways are wrong. Doing something right in a wrong manner and an unloving manner is wrong. And doing something wrong in a loving manner is also wrong. Um, and it gets hard to find anyone who is in that middle. Yeah, I mean... Uh and, and if you go and talk, have conversations with some of these people, their response is, no, we have to fight for what is right. That's true. You do have to fight for what is right. You do have to stand up for what is, what is good. Uh, you have the right to, pro to, to free speech. But how are you doing? With disrespect, right? Are, are, are you being kind? Are you being gentle? Are you with love, with the purpose of educating versus, I'm going to show him. I'm going to show him. He's getting all these followers writing all these things about, about uh, uh, Trump. I'm going to show him. Well, that's not the spirit of love or gentleness, right? So, so it, you, it's okay to engage and exercise your rights, but 
It's more important how you do it. All right, moving on. All right, the next question we have is, if someone repents after having premarital, premarital sex, are they considered a virgin again? What if they do it again? So if we put this to any other question, if, anyone, if you lie, if you steal, if you cheat, if you have premarital sex, does that mean that that's it? You're marred forever? No, that's not what Christ teaches us. He teaches us that he loves us and that he is able to restore the broken. And so you can't say, that, like he said, the, the saint is the one that falls and gets up seven, seven times. Um, and so I think part of it is that, and we've had this discussion before about how Satan wants us to feel like we're down. You're down, you're bad, you're dirty, you're disgusting, God doesn't love you, there's no, there's no way he can look at you anymore, you're just bad. And that's what he wants to put you in that despair, wallow in that pit, so that you can never come out. And that's not what Christ teaches us, and that's not how he feels about us. And keep in mind, a lot of us sin in many ways. The, the, the thing that differentiates one person from another is their ability or their, their struggle and their, their willingness to repent and move on from the sin. So you can have somebody who's a thief and lives as a thief their whole life, but they're not repenting as a thief. But does that make them better than somebody who's had premarital sex but has repented? You know, if someone murdered somebody, you know, granted that's another whole situation, but um, you know, there there are different things that I think coming in, in into perspective with how does the person recover or try to get away from the sin, okay. and 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 the second part is what if they do it again, you know, like you said, Mike, you know, people fall into sin all the time, but it's how hard do you try? Okay, you fell, you know, but pick yourself up and move on, mm-hmm. you know. Well, it brings us to the same. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. No, I was I was gonna say uh, God uh, told us that He did He didn't want perfect people. He wanted that He wanted people uh, to, uh, to like sinners to understand and repent and be more with Him through repenting. And no matter how many times you sin. If you repent and you do your best not to do that sin again, it uh, means a lot greater to God than actually just being perfect. So I, yes, hallelujah. This is biblical. Yeah. This is biblical. There is great rejoicing in in heaven when the return from a, a sinner who returns back into the grace of, of our God. So you're absolutely right. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. St. Paul says... Hey, that's my job. (laughs) (laughs) Neither idolaters nor fornicators nor murderers will enter into the kingdom of heaven. How do we we square those two things with that with what we were just talking about? Great question, Michael. Um, (laughs) You know what? I'm going to answer that uh, by by talking about a church service, okay? Uh, The sacrament of marriage. Uh, have you ever noticed that when? Oh, by the way, if you guys, if you've never actually listened or read through the Sacrament of Marriage, you got to got to read it. It's incredibly beautiful. It's really intended to be for three people. You know, the groom, the bride, and Christ. And if you read it the way it's supposed, it was written by our church fathers. It's actually Jesus Christ speaking to the bride and the bridegroom and giving them instruction and telling them what you know what his expectations are and what in turn he will provide for them. Uh, it's really a union of those three. In fact, imagine a wedding where you delete everyone else. 
including the priest. It's just Jesus, the bride, and the groom, right? The priest acts as that place of, of Christ. And in it, the priest says, it says the virgin, name of the bridegroom, the virgin, uh, name of the bride, right? So uh, there, it's not that every single person who ever gets married in the Coptic church is a virgin. Because, yeah, while that's, well, that's most likely true in, in terms of the majority, it's not the case every single time. So then why then does the church say the virgin? Does it mean that only virgins can get married? Absolutely not. So why is it in there? Why is it in there? And when you read about confession and what the church fathers have to say about confession, it becomes very clear. And, it be, and, and basically there is a price to all sin. There is a price to all sin. And you pay twice. There's a sin tax. Get it? Uh, the first price is the heavenly price, right? The heavenly price. And the second price is an earthly price. The heavenly price is the same. All sin in the eyes of God are forgivable, just the same. It is very easy for God to forgive theft of a pen as it is to forgive murder. Because God loves us so much, and it's not like you have to do more things or confess more times. In the eyes of God, when Abuna puts his hand on you and gives you the absolution, all of your sins are forgiven. That you confessed about. That you confessed about. Okay? So you can confess about confession and, and theft in the same confessions. And if you're truly sincere and you repent, and God, Abuna gives you the absolution, you are absolved. You have, you're walking out there with a clean slate. Earthly price of sin is not equal. The earthly price of sin is not equal. What does that mean? It means that someone who has entering a marriage uh, that is a complete virgin, who has not been corrupted at all by these experiences and only knows one man or one woman, they're going to have an easier time in their marriage, most likely, than someone who has lived a very carnal life and has experienced many men and many women. And basically what that means is you have these memories and these experiences that Satan will use against you at your lowest, right, when you're fighting with her. Or when you're fighting with him. Or may maybe when there's temptation around and you're remembering all the other things. Or, or maybe if you're bored in your relationship, whatnot. There is more ammunition for Satan to use against you in that moment. Now, does that mean that you're going to fail? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You can still fight and you will win. You will win by the grace of God. It just means that there is a costly sin. There's a costly price to the sins uh, in, in, that you commit from an earthly perspective, like murder. You, you, kill, you stab someone to death and it wasn't self-defense and you did it for a malicious reason. God will forgive you like that, but you will always have to live with those memories. You always have to struggle with that sin, which the devil will use against you when the time comes, right? And, and you'll it, go to jail. And you'll go to jail, <laughs> if, you, if you get caught. Um, the, the other thing to keep in mind is there are also more uh, physical sin costs, like uh, sexually transmitted diseases, or if you're doing drugs or alcohol, you know, all kinds of medical, right? These things don't get, you don't get healed of your cirrhosis of the liver because you confessed about alcohol. alcohol. Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't think I've ever read that, that particular miracle. I'm, maybe it existed, right? The, the fact, so, so the fact of the matter is this, when you confess about, uh, you know, um, adultery or, uh, excuse me, adultery or, um, or premarital sex or any, any of those, that family of, of, of sins, God has forgiven you. In the eyes of God, you are pure, okay? However, there's an earthly cost you have to pay. So that is to say that, yes, in the eyes of God, you can confess anything and you will be seen as pure, as ready to go. But does that mean that we have a free reign, a coupon, a rain check, to just do whatever we want and then you confess right before marriage? No, because you still have to pay that earthly price. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. The things that we do do have a cost and do make uh, sometimes cause us to struggle more in, in certain ways. But yes, but God does blot it out completely. Like the conclusion of the Tazbaha says, the sins that I have committed do not remember my Lord and do not count my iniquities. And he doesn't. It's as far as far away as possible that he that it, it, it's as if it never happened. But yes, like you said, uh, on earth, yes, to us, it, it'll feel like it, it has happened. And Satan yeah. will fight us with it. What do the rest of you guys think before we wrap up this question? Actually, uh, I have a question, if I may. Uh, what if you do the sin again uh, just because you know that after it you will repent and God will forgive you? Well, that's what Theo was saying. You know, you have yeah. to have the, the repentant idea of the, the struggle to not return back to it. You know, granted, people do fall back into the sin. You know, mm-hmm. but it's how do you pick yourself back up and repent about it and move on rather than, you know, oh, well, it'll just be erased. You know, I'll make a, I'll write a mistake on my paper because I have an eraser to erase it. You know, yeah. it's, or, or I, I drove drunk once really and didn't get analogy. into an accident. Let's try yeah. it again. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, I, 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 I like it. That's yeah. a, the eraser analogy is, is perfect. Uh, they asked uh, our Lord and Savior, how many times should I forgive my brother? And he said 70 times 70. Don't actually do the math. That wasn't his intention. His point, his point was like as many times as he asked for forgiveness. So if God is asking us to do that and he's capable of greater, then how many times will God forgive you for the same time, for the same sin? As long as you repent with all your heart. Doesn't, unlimited. Unlimited. It's just the question is like do you want to risk it? I mean, or you have enough time to confess before you die? Most importantly, you're still paying down the, uh, this mortgage on sin that you've taken out. Because you've said, you know what? I'm going to live large and I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to do whatever I want. And at the end, I'll come back to God. Okay, Habibi, just, just know that you're falling deeper and deeper into debt. And, and although God can, convi- can uh, you know, essentially could uh, forgive. What's going on? Forgive your spiritual debt. You still have a price to pay on heaven. And then you carry that into your marriage. You carry that into your relationships. right? You carry that into your everyday life. And it's going to be hard. Is it possible to overcome? Say Mary of Egypt. You know, biggest prostitute in all the land. I mean, you read the stories about this woman before before she became uh, a blessed woman of God. I mean, she, I don't know of anyone that does that kind of behavior, right? Even in today's world. Like by today's standards, she was way out there. Like, and yet God, God accepted her forgiveness so quickly. Just, it was, it, it's like a light, right? So quickly to the point that when this uh, incredible monk, Father Zosima, was, uh, huh, who's better? Who can be better than me? I mean, who, who's reached the highest of spirituality? I see angels and things. And then God says, oh, yeah, go meet this woman. She is much greater than you in your spirituality, right? This prostitute, former prostitute, and she is more greater than you in spirituality, right? So, so obviously God will forgive you. Uh, so it's unlimited forgiveness, just like unlimited breadsticks. Olive Garden. At Olive Garden, <laughs> when you hear your family. <laughs> Any other things before I move on? Um, another perspective, what would you say to someone who, who would say, you know, this topic in particular, like premarital sex or premarital relationships in general are harder for or looked down more upon for women versus men i'm not touching that one one of you guys figured (laughs) (laughs) i'll tell you why i brought this up is because i was having a conversation with someone and they were saying you know it almost feels like it's okay or it's expected for boys or men to have these relationships before marriage but when it comes to women it's almost it's it's not almost it's looked down upon and it's like you know, she's damaged goods, so to say. 
Don't and be shy. Men and women are both created equal in the eyes of God. So whether if it's a man or a woman who committed the sin, the sin has been committed. It's not, I think that comes also from a cultural perspective, mm -hmm. uh, very much more so than a religious perspective. Um, unfortunately, which, which is also, I think why there's, there's some perspectives of like boys can go out do whatever they want and girls can't because you know, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's that, that, that perspective, that mentality. Um, me personally, I, I, I think it's a sin. Whoever committed it committed a sin. You know, if it was a girl, a girl committed the sin. If it's a guy, it's just as equally of a sin as it is to the girl. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was trying to be quiet because I can get on a soapbox <laughs> about this for a long time. But um, yes, it is a sin and it's ridiculous the way that our our culture does treat that they can be different. And it's not just our Egyptian culture, it's culture, uh, society in general tends to look down more on, okay, well, she, she sinned, she's bad, or, and he's, oh, that's normal, it's a guy thing. And it's not normal, and it's not a guy thing, and you're supposed to be pure no matter what, whether you are male or female. Now, the other side of it, though, is, like we were talking about the debts that you have to pay. So, obviously, it's very different. The woman can get pregnant. And she'll have a and she'll and she'll have a baby and she'll be responsible for that baby and the man should be responsible for that baby as well but it's easier for him to to go away and not take that responsibility but he will be judged for that and it is and in the eyes of God it won't be seen and I and it is my personal opinion that if she is she's ta she's taking care of the child and she's being she she's putting all this positive great things in and he's out there still doing whatever those aren't that's not similar at all and that's that's doing something that's showing the life of that repentance that is uh, that god will reward a life of sacrifice for yeah. the mother versus a life of continuation of of the sinner whatever the guy is doing mm. uh May I add one thing real quick? As long as you speak into the mic, you can add whatever you want. Go ahead. Okay. So Le lean in more. Okay. So it's basically like I think society shouldn't just look as a guy against the girl. Uh, because when if anybody does something, it's always who did it. Like was it a boy or was it a girl? But we as people should just try to find out like it is a sin either way it doesn't matter who did it because what happened already happened it's the same end result so it should be treated as such as but not as oh it's a boy it's easy for him uh, just don't do it again but it's a girl it's like how could you do this uh you're punished for life you know in general. Yeah, scarlet letter type stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you, Yusuf, you have uh, not weighed in, and uh, we're all we're all putting in a pound of flesh. So go ahead. I was actually more like interested in like hearing you guys talk about this, so I didn't really. <laughs> yeah, this guy's gonna be a politician. Um. Uh, all right. You're not gonna get on your soapbox. I'll do it. Okay. For centuries, female sexuality has been used as currency by cultures. Okay. For centuries. 
Female sp sexuality specifically has been used as currency by many different cultures. Unfortunately, the Middle Easterner is kind of like the worst. Because <laughs> it's like, here is my virgin daughter. I make a deal with you. You do not attack me. My tribe be friends with your tribe. You know, we make a swab. Oh right? <laughs> I mean, this, this really happened. Yeah. I mean, basically, like this chieftain wants to make, you know, he's, he's got a small tribe and he's moving into this bigger tribe's area and he wants to make peace. And so he gives his virgin daughter in marriage to the other chieftain in order to have some sort of familial bond. It doesn't matter what she wanted to do. It doesn't matter if she was in love with someone else. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. She was property and her sexuality was being used as currency, right, in order to attain cultural whatever. This is, guess where the, guess where the most examples of this are? It's in the Bible. Like this has happened over and over and over and over again. Doesn't make it right in the eyes of God. No. no. Okay. Because, uh, I agree with you, no, but, but, but let's, let's explain something. Because... Female sexuality was used as currency. It has higher value historically than man's sexuality, right? And so when you read these stories in the Bible, understand the cultural context in which you are reading these stories because it, this woman's sexuality wasn't just sexuality. This was currency. This was valuable. And it was used to trade on and to do business on, right, and to make bonds with. Male sexuality, on the other hand, was like, meh, right? Because when you think about it uh, biologically, how many... Uh, uh, babies can a woman have in a year? One. One. How many babies can a man have in a year? Potentially <laughs> unlimited. I mean, potentially unlimited. W why are we talking about this? Because it shows you just how little value, historically, this, this is not religiously, this is not from a Christian perspective, this is purely cultural and historically. It shows you how much value there, there was to man's sexuality, number one. Number two, historically, men have had more power than women in most relationships and most dealings, right? So, of course, the rules are going to be written in a way that favor men over women, right? In a sense that men, women are to be controlled and men are, are allowed to do whatever they want. Again, historically, historically, not biblically. Something happens. A man comes in who says, enough of this garbage. Men and women are equal. Slave and master are equal. Black and white are equal. Everybody is equal in the eyes of God. That man was Jesus Christ. And if you read the teachings of Christ, right? some people, they, they come and they say, oh, I hate the, uh, the marriage uh, ceremony. It says, woman, submit your... If you read that very carefully, right, you will find that for his time, Jesus Christ was the single most progressive force that was ever alive at that time. Because he goes to the man and he tells him, you are responsible for her. Do what gladdens her heart. Not treat her as property. Not do what makes you happy, which every single culture at that time was focused on. He tells her, you are responsible for her. Do what gladdens her heart. Do what is right for her. Okay? He goes and he literally says, slave, all of this, right? So, so you have to ask yourself this, right? Like, read, read things in, 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 uh, in context. It's very important to read that in context. So from the Christian perspective, now we're no longer talking about there are exceptions to the rules. Now we're saying it's a level playing field. Here are the rules. Sin is sin. And it'll never be anything less and it'll never be anything more. Sin is sin. A man who commits adultery or who has premarital sex is just as guilty in the eyes of Christ Jesus as a woman. There is no difference. So again, when we're using the he heavenly rules, the spiritual rules, no difference. Unfortunately, those rules that were made a long time ago by man, even though many of us are trying to live by God's rules, still apply. And so what happens 
is an immense amount of emphasis in our culture specifically is placed on the virginity and purity of a woman and not enough is placed on that of a man. And so you get the kind of abnormal behavior that we see today where if it's a man that's watching pornography or addicted to pornography or having girlfriend after girlfriend, it's okay, Habib, it's okay, Habib, you have to fight, you have to fight, it's not okay. And then all of a sudden, if it gets out that a girl is in a relationship or a girl is watching pornography, whatever it is, it's like, Mr. <gasps> Salib, oh my Lord, this is not Christian. Okay. In fact, all you're doing, if you're, if you're pushing this kind of rhetoric that, this kind of behavior, is you're, you're, telling, you're telling young girls you have to hide these things. Yeah. If you're addicted to them, if you're if you're doing these things, you have to hide them. And if you're hiding something, you can't fix it. If you're running away from something, you can't address it. And if you can't address it, then you'll never repent and you'll never really seek the forgive God's forgiveness. But you will have to deal with the negative psychological effects of living a very sexual life or a very carnal life or whatnot uh, brings with it. A lot of headache, a heart, headache, yeah, definitely a lot of headache, a lot of heartache, a lot of pain. Uh, you know, biological issues, all of these problems, right? Here's a, a, another question. Uh, and, and this question is specifically about the, the manosphere, if you will, the manosphere, the blue pill, the red pill, and the woman's sphere, right? There's, there's apparently a, 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 a significant amount of media out there that's put it, pitting men against women and really focused on uh, advising men on how to take advantage of women, advising women how to take advantage of men. Uh, so it's not in love. It's not engaging in love. It's essentially engaging and getting something out. Uh, of a relationship, right? And while generally our community stays very, very far away from that, that movement is bleeding into everyday society to a point now, you know, where uh, men and women are engaging with each other, not really for love or not really for, for anything godly, but in order to extract resources from the other, right? And I mean, you see it today. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have friends and, uh, that may be participating in that type of behavior. Do you mean like hookups? Uh, hookups is a very basic form of it, or like the whole sugar daddy thing, or oh, gotcha, okay, or, or going on dates with uh, with men or women for you know not not the godly way of in trying to learn about the other person, but for extracting whatever you want out of that person, right? This is becoming the social norm. If it's not already, it might already be. I don't know, but it's becoming a social norm. So us as Christians trying to live a godly life is very very difficult. Right? It is very, very difficult because now uh, this, this general sense of love and respect and honor of God and, and the other is being substituted for what can I get out of this, uh, this person? All right? So uh, this question is a little bit uh, convoluted a little bit, but basically the, the question is, is how do we manage that type of world that is very worldly, right? those type of social interactions, when we ourselves called to be something higher? Well, I think it comes into asking why or questioning the dynamics of the, we'll just call it like an exchange where, where you're trying to get something out of someone, okay? And essentially it's selfishness, you know? When you're looking at the cause of it, you're trying to get something that is is gainful for you, but you're taking from the other person. You're not giving. And what what do we learn? God loves a cheerful giver. It, I think it feeds into this worldview that's become very prevalent that everything is power dynamics, that there's those that have more power and those that have less power. And if you have more power than what you do can be oppressive. But if you have less power, then you can do the same thing and not be oppressive. And everything boils down to where the power is and where you are along the power hierarchy. And there's nothing about that that 
says anything about the, the way that God wants us to live, or any, it's not Christian at all. We aren't supposed to live according to power dynamics, and everything that we do is calculated based on where, what does it give me, what do I get out of it, how do I get to where I want to go, and where's the love there? There is no love there. It's just all manipulative power brokering. And it's not new. It's always been there. And when we were talking earlier about how, oh, you give your daughter in marriage to this other chieftain or this other king so that the, our two countries have a better relationship and we can trade better, it's the same thing. It's just the same power dynamics and brokering. What uh, uh, I'll scratch my your back if you scratch mine, but there's no love there. I think it's also um, a lot about materialism, which... I can understand because in today's world, you know, you always want to have like the latest iPhone or like the newest headphones and you want to show out on Instagram or social media or whatever. So and, you know, if you're not if you're not Christian or if you don't really belong to a religion that tells you you shouldn't be flashing these or you shouldn't be held, you you shouldn't hold on to material things. Why wouldn't you do it? You know, like so I can understand why people do it and. But if you've, you know, looking at it from a, like a really simple view, if you've ever done retail therapy, you know, like at the end of the day, <laughs> it doesn't work. You know, like you can go, you can buy your perfumes, your shoes, whatever. At the end of the day, you're still going to be, if you're sad, you're still going to be sad. If you're content with your life, you're going to be content because materialism gets to a point that it doesn't su- satisfy you anymore. You know, you start with a wallet and then it's a purse and then it's whatever. And then at the end of the day, it's, it's not and enough. It's an empty wallet, <laughs> and then, an empty purse. Just stay yeah. at home and cry. <laughs> What do you think? Uh, no, like, uh, it comes to giving and taking. Uh, it's been since the beginning of times, and it's still now. But I think now it's the point of just taking and taking and not giving. Like, uh, going to what Karen said, uh, yes, Money can buy a lot of it can buy a lot of things, but money cannot buy happiness. Like, no matter how much money you spend, you will, you can feel you can still feel lonely, and nothing will fill this void. Not even the the most amount of money in the world will not even fill this void, because you're missing something that cannot be bought. And when we talk about uh, going back to the point on giving and taking, uh, like you uh, as a person, you don't want to give, but you want to take everything. And yes, uh, Justine said about it, it's being selfish. But at that point, you don't think about it being selfish and just, I want it. It's uh, it's my right. It's It doesn't become as, oh, thank you for giving me this. It's my right. I'm entitled to it. You're just holding it for me, and I want it back. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think all the points are 100% spot on. It's a materialistic society. People are essentially uh, looking to value themselves based off of their uh, materialistic uh, status, whether that's the job that they have, the amount of money that they have, what they drive, what they wear, et cetera. More and more people are forgetting their true calling, their true identity, which is a child of, of Christ, a daughter or son of Jesus Christ, which in all reality is the greatest status and has the greatest wealth. But, you know, unfortunately, forces that are evil have essentially managed to convince everyone to, uh, to seek a lower status. 
and and chase it and make that you know the most important thing. And obviously, when someone steps further and further away from God and they're really focused on materialism, um, love is not real to them. True love, the love that is unconditional, uh, that only you can get from Jesus Christ Himself. I mean, even lo the, even love between a husband and a wife is not c completely conditional, unconditional. It's just not. And and the closest thing you get to that is is the love between a parent and a child. But even that's not purely conditional because. You might be able, you know, you do something, you, you say something where, you're, where your parent is going to be very upset at you. Eventually they'll forgive you, God willing. But only the love of God is unconditional. And that is so valuable and is required so much. And it cannot be bought. However, so many people just don't really see it that way. They don't, they've missed the boat on it and they, they don't realize that's what they're missing. And so when people live a life devoid of Christ, they're going to see each other as transactions, as walking transactions. And what can I get from this person in order to do or feel or be better in my eyes? And that's unfortunately the world that we live in. So the answer then is, well, the question then is, how, how do we react in that world? Do we let people just take advantage of us as Christians? Like what, what's the right way to handle that kind of life? Of course, it's always good to stand firm, to stand up for yourself, uh, make sure people don't take advantage of you. Um, but that comes with wisdom and that comes with uh, maturity and growth because a lot of people can also be naive and tend to just be too nice, you know. Um, in the end, it's just about understanding, reading people, the ability to read people, understanding what their motives are behind what, what they're trying to get out of you and, you know, circumventing or how to properly manage the situation? Uh, I think it's also about finding the balance between standing your ground and at the same time being uh, able to give. Like, it's some people can uh, tell you, oh, we need, I want this. Can you help me? But at the same time, some people actually do need this help. So I think it comes like with, like uh, Justine said, wisdom and maturity, but also there needs to be a balance. Like if uh, 90 people come and ask you for the same thing, you're not supposed to do it 90 times. And or just by after the 85th time, you're just, oh, I've fallen for this too many times. I think it's like how you can read people and just uh, like, uh, like for an ex for example, I was going on my way. I bought uh, I bought groceries, and then a lady asked me, "Can I have a dollar because I want to buy food?" And in my opinion, uh, I saw the lady. She was hooked on something, and she wanted the. Uh, in my my head, she wanted to buy more for, uh, more for to feed her addiction. So I didn't see this as an option i didn't want to help the lady because i didn't want her to hurt herself but then i move on and uh, to uh, maybe in the future i see someone who actually needs uh, food so it's like it depends on how people give you the attitude like some people can actually need your help and some people just want want your help because they don't want to get it themselves you know so the important thing about that, and I think you're right, but to a certain extent, I think we have to rely not on ourselves, but rely on God for this, that there has to be a discernment that comes from him and not comes from us. Because we can often be fooled into thinking that someone is trying to use us or is out for negative gains. So it's, it has to be a prayerful attitude of, okay, God, 
guide me, tell me, give me the discernment to figure out, hey, this is the situation I should do this in, this situation I should do that in. But then there's also, uh, uh, God deals with us according to our faith. And we all know the stories of saints who, no matter what, like Emba Brahm, that no matter what someone asked for his his tunic, he would give it to them. And he'd give freely and willingly. And what happens when we do that? God fights for us at that point. And then if it happens that someone was lying or someone was trying to get something that shouldn't have been theirs, God will will, will have his revenge. God will make it so that it works out not for their benefit at that point. And so to a certain extent, in order for us not to start having negative attitudes about people, we need to rely on God to be the the arbiter, to be the judge, and for us not to judge and say, oh, well, this person is is going to do it for good things, and this person's going to take it for bad reasons. Um, pray and let him guide you. Yeah, so so the, the the corruption of the world is not a good reason or not a valid reason to behave in an uncrust like way. The, again, the corruption of the world, just because the world Amen. is getting worse and getting more and more corrupt, is not a reason to behave or do things uh, against the will of God. It's just not. So, ho- however, at the same token, so we got this on the right, but on the same token, God's expectations of you. Is are different for each of us specifically based off of where we are spiritually, emotionally, and, and mentally, right? God is not going to expect someone who's very, very basic at these levels to be able to give freely and without expecting anything back. And he will not judge them accordingly if they do give and then they regret. He will not, right? Because he will judge them. He's a just God. He'll judge them according to their abilities. But for someone that has that capacity, has that spirituality, and they're not operating on the level that that's matches that low that level of spirituality, that's a big unfortunate you know situation for them because God will expect them to operate in that level. If you're capable of unconditionally or to the best of your abilities loving the other and giving away freely and knowing full well that your trust is in God and you're not doing these things, that's a problem. So it's the sliding scale that God has, and it's only really for each of us individually. So generally, what you're supposed to do is be the fifth gospel. What's the most powerful gospel? It's not Matthew, it's not Mark, it's not Luke, it's not John. It's the gospel of Karen, the gospel of Yusuf, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Justine. Still working on your gospel. But the fact of the matter is, that is the most powerful gospel. And we live in a world today where the vast majority of people, and this is increasing and increasing and increasing, the only gospel they will ever read is your gospel, right? The the example that you live in your life according to Jesus Christ, right? Let your light so shine so that others may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, let not a light be put under a lampstand, but uh, or in a basket, under but. a basket, but on a lampstand in order for all to see the good works, uh, to see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. A lot of people they will never feel or come into contact with the love of Jesus Christ except through you. So if you're going to walk around here and be like, oh, I can't, I'm going to be taken advantage of. I don't, can't be too nice, man. That's weakness. I mean, think, think again. Think again. But at the same time, don't give so much that you lose yourself. This is where having a father confession is so important. These are the types of questions that you should be asking your father of confession. Because we can only give you general advice. Your father can confession can make it very specific towards you. All right, next question. Uh, what is the best way for us to show the world that we are Christians? <laughs> why are the Why are all these questions connecting to it? That's that's crazy. I, I promise we didn't because we didn't that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> Just what happens. Go ahead, Justin. 
Uh, next question? No, no, no. This is a good one. Oh. 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 <laughs> no, what we're saying is the questions are feeding off into each other. Okay, go ahead. So how do you be a good que- uh, Christian? I mean, it, it takes a lot. I mean, Theo, you just like ended with, you know, <laughs> let your light so shine through your works that people may see your good works and glorify God who's in heaven, you know. Period. Period. <laughs> End of story. <laughs> you know, acting like a Christian is a lot more than just being a Christian. Mm. Um, and there are people who are not Christian, but have good works that you look at them and you're just like, what? You know, mm-hmm. how, how, you know, who is it? Gandhi that said, if it weren't for Christians, I would be Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like wh- wh- why is that the case? Why is it that we cannot with, we cannot uphold the teachings that we are supposed to live by and yet we come out with this, all this glory and might on our shoulders. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. You know, I'm of the best religion in the world. Don't cross me. What you believe in is wrong. You know, it's that arrogance that, that gets us into a lot of trouble because we think we are unstoppable. We are better than others, that our religion is the religion, but we're not practicing it. We're not living by the standards of the religion. We are just a label, you know, and that's what does the religion a disservice and the faith a disservice in it of itself as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's one of those things where um, sometimes we forget that um, there is more to this world than what we see and what we experience. And uh, we need a kick in the pants to, to remember that. But absolutely. What, what, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing as, you know, how do you ad- advertise your new clothing line? You wear it, so. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's good. You get that one. <laughs> that's actually very good. I like but, I mean, it, it's hard. Liz, it's hard because the day you decide to be good is the day you're going to get a tempting person mm-hmm. and you're going to lose it. Mm-hmm. But God will test your patience. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> On the road. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. First thing. <laughs> Uh, it's funny because my road rage is terrible. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I can't believe that. <laughs> uh, Justine, can you please r- repeat the question? Oh, yeah. It said, what is the best way for us to show the world that we are Christians? It's, it, songs keep ringing in my head and they'll know we're Christians by our love. Like, if you know that song, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Well, That's don't how. ever do that again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never do that again. <laughs> And that's, that, that is how. If we show them love deeply, pure love, then they'll know and they'll glorify our Father in Heaven. But instead, what we tend to do is fall into the same things. And we, we use Christianity to achieve our ends. You know, I think it's also hard these days because we live in a society that's very, I don't want to say anti-Christian, but it's shifting that way, you know? And so for us to be Christians and act like Christians, it's very hard and you are met with so much resistance and so much sensitivity towards your views that it, it, it it's like you're, you're left to say nothing, you mm-hmm. know? It's like you're muted, you know? I'm, I'm just thinking like hypothetically, here, here's an easy one, homosexuality. You know, we know what our faith says about homo. We know what the Bible says about homosexuality, but we live in a society where it's approved, it's legal, it's allowed, 
And if I were to say homosexuality is wrong, the amount of like hate you're canceled. Exactly. Exactly. Like I, I am not somebody who you can reckon with. I'm not somebody you should ever associate yourself. Like the sense, the sensitivity towards our views as Christians has become so volatile that it's, it's, it's like sometimes we're, we get scared of the backlash that we'll get. So we just mute ourselves, you know? Um, but you know, we should be those pillars that stand strong and fight back against what our faith tells us rather than shutting ourselves up. That's what all the apostles did, you know, during their time, they, they weren't quiet. They weren't like, Oh, well the Romans, they're going to attack. They knew that they went out preaching with that risk that they would be dragged in the streets or hung upside down or boiled in oil, whatever it was, you know, they went with that risk. Granted nowadays we're, we're just become so emotionally sensitive that we don't want people to like Karen said, cancel us. So, you know, um, stand firm with, with your beliefs. Don't, don't allow society to push you in one way or another because you're scared of people not accepting you. In the end, it's God who's going to accept you and not the others. And that's what we should be focusing on. Amen. Amen. But do it with love. Uh, do, yeah, do yeah. it with kindness. Do it. I mean, yeah. absolutely. And, and I know that's what you were saying. Yeah. <laughs> but there's some people out there who's like, yeah, I'm going to wear a God hates gay shirt tomorrow. <laughs> no, speak, no, speak no, no, no. Like, you, need, you, need, you need to do all of these things with, with love. For, what's, the, what's the verse? Speak what's the, the truth in love. What's our verse? If I, oh, have fervent love for one another for... Um, love covers up, love a covers up a multitude of things. Absolutely. Do everything in love, right? Like, don't, don't, uh, don't walk into the classroom and be like, Mm, and someone asks you a question like I can't talk to you because you're gay no <laughs> like come on Habibi, uh, like, you have to be the Christ in every situation that is what you're called to be be the stand in for Christ be the vessel so that Christ can pour his grace into you and so that he can bring more of the people to him and if you go to someone and be like hey you're a thief you gotta stop that what do you think he's gonna do probably rob, rob you. you yeah exactly <laughs> exactly right like no with love and uh, it's the Amber Macarius story uh, you know, the one that's at the Abbey that they did the fresco of where uh, they, oh, yeah. they, they go to Amber Macarius and they're like, come quick. One of our brothers is in there with a woman. And yeah. they're like, they're running. And so Amber Macarius is taking his suite all the time. And he comes and he goes, all right, all you stay out. I'm going in. Stay out. He walks in. He's like, he's like, Abby, how are you? How's everything? And the guy's like, uh, everything's fine. Uh, th there's nothing in here. You, you, you don't need to worry. And so Amber Macarius is like just talking to the guy normally. He doesn't say a single thing about what everyone else is saying. And then he sees the, his footlocker move. <laughs> like the footlocker at, at the foot of his bed. So what does Amber Macarius do? Call him out? Nope. He goes, has a seat right on top of the footlocker. And just have a conversation with him. Meanwhile, the guys outside, the other monks, are like, what's going on? Maybe he's killing our father. So they run in. They really rush in. They're like, gotcha. Huh? <laughs> and Sam Macarius is like, what is the meaning of this? They're like, there's a woman in here. He's like, if there's a woman in here, find her for me. So they go, they search the closet, they search. I mean, it's not like the guy has a giant penthouse, right? It's a small room. <laughs> so if there's a woman in there, they're going to find her pretty quickly. So they look around, they're like, there's no woman in here. He goes, okay. So this is a lesson to you. Don't judge your brothers. Judge not lest you be judged. And don't spe spread rumors about your brothers. Now go outside and give me 50 matanias. So they all leave. He doesn't actually say the matanias. But they all leave. And then uh, uh, Amber Macarius uh, stands up, knowing full well, knowing full well who's in the room. And uh, he basically tells them, uh, you know, sin no more. Sin no more. You need to confess, sin no more, whatever. And he walks out, right? And never once addresses the glaring problem in the room, which was uh, the woman that's in the footlocker. 
So what does that what does that tell us as Christians, right? Sometimes we want I'm it's like that that kid in school that's like, oh I know the answer, I know the answer. I'm a blah blah blah. And then looks around and see, I know the answer, right? Mm-hmm. No, no. So for so so many of us we think that's what it means to be Christian. No, this is a true Christian. Who knows the answer? You're asking me? I think he might know the answer. Do you know the answer? You see what I mean? It's the love that we have for one another. It's the desire for good that we should have for one another. That should pervade any sense of right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Don't do this. Don't do that. Bad, 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 bad. I understand. A lot of us didn't grow up in those types of families. A lot of us don't grow up in these types of churches. But if if God has blessed us with the ability to understand that, it's your job to get that message out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Back to what Justine said. because of society and everything but if uh, talking about christianity was that easy wouldn't everybody be doing it i mean there's always the difficulty uh that we if we talk about something specific that we believe in there's always going to be a party that is heard by what we say so besides doing it in love there's always uh like there's always going to be a consequence to someone and and doing uh, like try doing it as much with love so the hurt is minimized because it's never going to be easy like like i said earlier if it's easy everybody's going to do it like and what god said there there's always people who will not agree with you and th- and that's the challenge that we have like so that's one thing, though, and I, we're not by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not going to say that we are Christ, but did Christ actually talk to everybody in love? Uh, the, yes, he did love everyone, but it, was he harsh with some with some people more than others? And the answer is yes, he was. So with the sinful woman, he said he's, he said to her, "Go and sin no more. Um, your sins are forgiven you." However, with the Pharisees who were ardent in their sin and they were self-righteous in their own hearts and were hypocrites he said woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites he called them whitewashed tombs he called them brood of vipers because if you have a loving heart and if you are your 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 heart is in the right place god will show you love but if you are using him as the Pharisees did, they used God's laws to achieve their own ends. And like he said, he, they would put burdens too heavy that they couldn't carry, they even themselves couldn't carry on other people to get their own ends. Then God will be harsh on you. Yeah, okay. I, I get what you're saying. The problem is that's going to be heard like, oh, yeah, God put people in their place. I can put people in their place too. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's, that's not at all. And if, you, and if you read very carefully the people that God put in their place, it wasn't the first time they tangled with Christ. No. Most often than not, it was the Pharisees who were looking for a way. They were not listening to understand. They were listening and, and speaking with the intention of doing something uh, you know, very inappropriate and, and, and not nice to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And even then, he gives them chance after chance after chance, right? So, so generally, the general message is it's not your place to put anyone in place. It really is not. It's your place to love and care for others. But at the same time, do not accept sin. Do not accept sin. Accept the person, love the person. Do not accept sin in your life or the life of others, right? And and if that means that people are so focused on sin, you meet some people that they love their sin so much they don't want to get rid of it, you might have to cut that person out of your life. Amen. Yeah, but, yeah Amen I don't have yourself. it. Yeah, there you go. Okay, I think we got two more questions left. We'll go with yours and then we'll go with this one. All right. 
last oh, on my list how to deal with imposter syndrome via christianity mikey all right so let's, let's start off by explaining imposter yeah. syndrome yeah. karen i think you had a good explanation for it so you want to start um sure yeah from so i was recently like introduced to the term too but it basically kind of means that you you don't think you're worthy of that you're, of the position that you're in whether that be like in a certain job or something so you it's almost like you're in disbelief like how how did i get here and like what am i doing basically like i'm not good enough to be here yeah so mm. so in general there's there's that pervasive feeling amongst a lot of us that we didn't actually achieve the things that we achieved or we the position that you're in um, you there are other people that are better than you and that you shouldn't and and everybody else knows that you shouldn't be in this position they're just all embarrassed to tell you and that, and, and just that low self-esteem and the way to deal with it through Christianity and there's many ways but one of the ways to do it is to think that Christ did put you in this position that God had like could have put you anywhere else but he put you there and i can do all things through christ who strengthens me and he can make you succeed and you will you like, most nine nine times out of ten you weren't put into that position because of some like you knew somebody or something and you shouldn't actually have anything to do with being in that position no you had you studied you earned it you achieved certain things and that's where you where you are and you just have to have that faith that you can do it but it's such a pervasive thing that many of us feel the same way many of us feel that we're imposters many of us feel that and at some point some everyone's gonna find out that we're just big fakes <laughs> I didn't know this was a popular feeling. <laughs> but I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah. I think it comes like uh, when you talk about imposter syndrome, I think people uh, start doubting themselves. And doubting yourself is not something that's r really uncommon. I think everybody does it at least once or twice a day. But uh, you should believe in yourself through God because you like Mike said you're there for a reason you earned it but like don't doubt yourself but be humble because there's a difference between doubting yourself and making yourself feel like you don't deserve anything and being humble and doubting yourself can also lead to some type of sin where you don't appreciate the talents God has given you or you don't recognize the talents and the abilities that you have to apply it into your life. And when you don't do that, you don't, it's, it's like you're given a gift and you're just like, no, I don't want this gift, you know, like, no. But it's just like, you have it, use it, you know. Um, I think a, a lot of people also, you have to keep in mind, no one knows what they're doing in their job. Let's just be honest. Like that's that's the reality of it. When you go into adult, when I started working, I was like, does anyone know what they're doing? And really, no. That That's the honest truth to it. So you don't know what you're doing. Your partner doesn't know what you're doing. Your coworker doesn't know what you're doing. Your boss doesn't know what you're doing. You know, I don't know. <laughs> that's the reality. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great advice, Justine. <laughs> What, what do you think? Imposter syndrome. I think 
a lot of people deal with it more than like more than people realize like uh, like a good percentage of the world deals with imposter syndrome and it's just I don't think God will ever give you something like you can't handle or you don't really deserve I guess like if he gave you that position it's it's like it's for a reason like everything he does is for a reason so to feel that way it's kind of like I don't know like do you think it's like going against God in some way or no I I agree with you Yusuf I agree with you you know like it's a lot of us think that we don't have what it takes, but it is a gift from God, you know? And if someone gives you like a $500,000 check, are you going to say, no, I don't deserve this? Like, no, I'll say it. I'll still cash it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Say it. I'll still cash it, you know, (laughs) like, like, thanks. But, you know, humbly accept it, you know, humbly take it. And, you know, the way that you receive the gift you should grow on it so that you can return it back 10 times more than what you got it in. You know, when you... When Parable you, of the talents. Yes. yes, exactly. Yes, don't just put it in the ground and exactly. say, hey, you're, you're wicked and you're going to ask me for more. And so that's why I'm not going to do a thing with it. Right. What did you do with the gift that was given to you? Exactly. Did you actually grow it, improve it, make it better, grow yourself? Or was it just left on the side and you're just kind of like, oh, I'll get to it later? <laughs> Yeah. So one person from the Bible that comes to mind with this is Moses. So Jesus, uh, or God appears to Moses in the burning bush, and he says to him, go, I'll be with you, go to Pharaoh and tell him um, to l- release my people from Egypt. And what does Moses say in response? He goes, well, I have a speech impediment, I can't do it, and he gives excuses. So God, instead of having him go by himself, has Aaron go with him. And... That's a, uh, Moses is amazing, and I don't want to be like putting down on Moses the prophet, but that is that attitude that we tend to have, and that's why these stories are in the Bible to say to us, hey, even the greatest prophets had this th- the same issue, had to struggle to the same issue. He ha- he didn't he doubted himself. He didn't think he can go and speak to Pharaoh, and so then he started giving excuses that he had the speech impediment, and God. And you saw it. God worked with him, and he gave him Aaron, and and he did go and confront um, Pharaoh. But that is what happens, is that we don't have the faith that God will lead us through it, and so then we start making excuses as to what our weakness is. And as as, um, God said to St. Paul, my my strength is sufficient in your weakness. He will grow. He'll use our weakness to... Do all powerful things, like like what happened with with Gideon and the army. He kept whittling down the army to there's barely anyone left, and it's like, how are you going to f- go fight them with almost no one left? But God can do it. Yeah, I mean, uh, m- my point on this is there's only one imposter, and he's not human. It's the great, oh, yeah. the great, <laughs> the great evil one, the great devil. He is the only imposter. He is the one that is pretending to be something that he is not. Uh, with the sole intention of robbing you of your birthright. I mean, he is, uh, you know, I, I read something incredibly powerful uh, the other day about Esau and Jacob. Um, I, there's that verse, you know, the, is God is what? God is love. Does God hate anyone? No, he does not. So why does the Bible say God hates Esau? Ever, you ever, uh, you ever, ever wonder with that? Well, the, the spiritual fathers uh, write, um, it's not that he hates Esau. God doesn't hate anyone. But there's something that really significantly irritates God, and that is when someone does not value the inheritance 
that he has given them and trades it away for something far inferior. Mm. Who is that? Every single person that has ever walked this earth at some point in time chooses to reject the inheritance that they have as the son of God, the daughter of God. God is the king. Christ is our Lord. If we are his children, that makes us princes, princes and princesses. Not this Disney garbage. True princesses, true princes that God wants to give his entire inheritance. Christ wants to give you his inheritance. He wants to reign with you in heavenly Jerusalem, in heaven. He wants you to sit with him and court with him and be there. He wants to bring you up to a level that we're not honestly worthy of, but that's how much he loves us, right? What God in the history of all religion offers you that? The closest you'll get is, if you do enough good, you can enter heaven. That's it. No other God comes and says, I want you to come with me in my arms and, and rule in my kingdom, right? So you are a prince or a princess, just like Esau, as the oldest, had the birthright to his father. His father's riches, his father's wealth, his father's status. He was the oldest. That was his birthright. And for him to not value it enough that he was willing to trade it to his brother for a bowl of ats. <laughs> if you read the Bible, it says lentils. Oh, like yeah. Esau, uh, uh, J uh, Jacob was uh, cooking uh, lentils, right? And uh, Esau came in from the field and he was just very hungry. And he's like, uh, give me some ats. And he's like, nope. Gotta give me something in return. He goes, okay, what do you want? I want your birthright. I want to be, I want to take all of your rights as the oldest. I want to make them mine. And what did Esau do? I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Speak with my belly. You know, Kirsch lives matter. And he just <laughs> ate. He's like, okay, deal. He made a deal. Now, in the eyes of in the eyes of God, doesn't matter if Esau meant that or not. This was disrespectful. And so that's actually what happens. Jacob actually ends up that he becomes the lineage of Christ. You can trace Christ's lineage to Jacob, not to Esau. And then he says, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. We have done the same thing. We have rejected our birthright in exchange for what? Food. Some money? <laughs> some status? Some Instagram likes? A nice uh, house? A nice Lamborghini? A few beautiful women? Like That's what we've changed. We've traded our right, our place in heavenly Jerusalem next to our Father in heaven for, for less than a cup of ats. At least a cup of ats didn't cause any problems. All these other things, they caused problems. Assuming it was cooked right. But anyway, <laughs> the, point is, the point is this. There's only one imposter. And it's that imposter's job to convince you that you're the imposter. Like, look at this inception. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, there's only one imposter. His name is Satan. It's the reverse psychology. Right. Yeah. The only one that's already been judged. Satan has been judged. We have not. Satan has been judged. He's been found to be unworthy, and he was cast from heaven. He's been judged. So he, it, it's, like, it's like someone who doesn't, you know, who, who misses out on something, and, uh, and everyone else is getting it. He's got FOMO. He's like, oh. <laughs> All these people going to heaven, and here I am, stuck in this. You know what? I'm going to build my own kingdom. I'm not going to let any of these people go to heaven. I'm going to do everything I can to fill up these seats. So everyone's just as miserable as I am. So he comes, just like in the garden, right? He's the imposter. Evil does not belong in the garden of, of, of Eden. But here comes this imposter, trying to be man's friend. Hey, you know, why don't you eat from this thing? Imposter, right? So it's his job to convince us that we are imposters. And unfortunately, so many people fall for that trick. They believe that they're the imposter, that they're the ones that don't belong, that they are too sinful, that they are too evil, that they are not the ones that really God is calling. When the answer is, 
you can be the worst person in the world, like St. Moses, the patron of our, uh, of our service here, and yet God is still calling you, and God will forgive you, and God still wants to bring you into his kingdom and still give you your birthright. So don't fall for it. Don't fall for this imposter syndrome that is being infected by, into you by, this, by the devil. There is only one imposter, and it's not you. We good with that? Absolutely. Yeah, good. Let's wrap it up with, with uh, this question. Actually, I get a lot in, in, in almost any youth service that I'm, I'm part of, or I hear a lot, or even lots of sermons about it. And, and it is, uh, I feel so anxious, depressed, and lonely. I feel like no one cares about me. I find myself depressed frequently, thinking about how my life can be. How can I get out of this? How my life can be. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> how my life can be. That, that's somebody looking into the future of what their life, they're, they're, they're creating and painting this picture of what they want their life to be like, and that's not what their current life is like. So they're comparing the current situation to a dream situation and saying, that's where I should be, but I'm not there yet. And then it puts them into that state of depression. Whereas they're not enjoying the moment that they're living in right then and there and not acknowledging, okay, maybe, yes, I can have a goal. I can have something I want to live up to, but what am I doing to work up to that? You know, um, sometimes people just get lazy with not trying to improve themselves, not trying to get their lives in check, not trying to to get on with their lives, you know, do something exciting with their lives. And it causes them to, I want to say point fingers, you know, why am I depressed? Well, start with yourself. You know, you are the one that's, that's inhibiting your own actions. You're the one that's inhibiting your own progress. So work on yourself to improve. Don't be lazy. You know, sometimes people, I feel like people nowadays want things to come to them. They don't want to work for things. They want things easily done. Quick money, cheap homes, a uh, nice car for, for the less amount of value. But you have to work for those things, you know, like everyone else did. Well, most people did. You've just explained the entire Egyptian culture. But anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Continue. Um, so, yeah, I think I think comparing it, it also comes to comparing yourself to other people. You know, sometimes people get depressed because they look at other, the grass is greener on the other side, plain and simple. We're always looking at what people have. I, I had a friend, for example, who um, didn't have a job for the longest time and was complaining that they didn't have a job. And then they get a job and then they're like, oh, my goodness, I'm so busy. I have no time to do anything. I'm so un it's, it's like, what? Okay, can, can you pick? Are you just trying to complain to complain? Or do you genuinely have a, like a concern? You know, so it's it's always you know, take advantage of the situation you're in. Don't look at the negatives as much as you're looking at the positives and grow from that situation. So you can see the fruits that you've, you know, that, that have come out from your efforts. And that's where you will see happiness. When you see the difference in your life, you will see the happiness. And, and I'm not talking from a spiritual standpoint, you know, I'm talking from a realistic pr practical standpoint where a lot of people are in a standstill because they don't want to put the work or effort in. They want things to come to them easily. I, uh, oh, hold on, she gets up. Good. Okay, I also think uh, people are busy about thinking about what they are missing and what others have and they don't have. When they should be focusing on what they have and others don't have. 
because you think too much about what your future can be like like justine said so you're worrying about something that maybe might not happen and you're losing track of what is happening right now like it can be overthink you can overthink something too much that it, it doesn't even have to come until like later on in the future and you're just missing out on what's happening in front of you right now like you can be sitting out with friends right now and you're just totally thinking about after the night ends what's gonna happen while you're missing so you're giving yourself that oh the night will be done soon so i shouldn't enjoy it now and just forget about the whole thing it's like setting up high expectations yeah, like, that you're not going to fulfill you just set yourself up for failure it's yeah. like you you know that everything must come to an end but you want to jump straight to the end not what's going through the whole process have you guys heard about the story of uh, the search of the fountain of youth where um it w there was a, a i don't know if this is real or not but basically the story is about how uh, people stated that there was a fountain in a certain area. And if you find the fountain and drink of the water, you're going to stay young forever. So these people spent years looking for the fountain of youth only to end up getting old mm -hmm. and never finding it. And basically the end result of it was you wasted your youth searching for the fountain of youth. So you never even got to enjoy your youth in the first place. You know, it was just you looking for something to maintain or uphold what you're currently in when they could have just enjoyed their youth from the get-go and you know they wouldn't have wasted all that time searching for something i also uh think that you spend too much time blaming others for your own fault like if you like if you're depressed try to look inside you and figure out why are you depressed like you have the power inside yourself to f to help yourself like yes uh there's other resources that can help you whether it's therapy uh father of confession guidance through anyways but also you uh, your your mind is powerful you're capable of looking inside yourself and searching for what can be the cause don't just blame people in your life and say uh well if he wasn't in my life i would be better off and just you're giving yourself excuses to keep doing what you're doing and sinking in a deeper hole than the one you were already in um there was this one quote and i i don't remember it verbatim but it was along the lines of like you're always in a prayer that you had before meaning like whatever situation you're in it was something that you were praying for before so in essence the point is you know you, you need to appreciate what you're in now um because it's it's you know you're you're always going to be praying for something but the the current situation is something that you already prayed for and god has made it happen for you and i'm sure it's easier said than done because i'm sure whoever asked that it's it's more than just it's almost like a cry for help because they don't know how to deal with it so it's not necessarily that they're blaming others or they're you know whatever it's it's because they don't know how to deal with their emotions um so i would say try to find the root cause you know like if if you're lonely or you're depressed is it just too much time on your hands and you feel yourself going to different thoughts that are harmful is it the people around you, you know, and try to find that root cause and try to work around it. Like Justine was saying, it's going to take some work, 
But I'm sure once God sees that you're trying to root out the problem and solve it, he's going to bless you and he's going to help you. It's like that common archetypal story of the person who wanted who gets everything they ever wanted and then feels miserable because he got everything that he ever wanted. Like every TV show has one episode like this. Every like plenty of books and movies have been written about that same story of you get everything you wanted and you and you're more miserable than you were before because you think the, those things it's just like Karen was talking about earlier with the retail therapy. You think these things are going to be what fixes it. And the problem isn't with the outside things, it's you first fix how you're looking at it and how your eyes are and are you looking at it with uh, a pure eye or are you looking constantly to try to see okay no this this person has it better and you're comparing and you're not happy with what you have and you are going to be miserable no matter how much you have or how little you have you're always going to be miserable yeah um Okay, I feel so lonely. Uh, I feel so anxious. I feel so depressed. I feel like nobody cares about me, right? We have that on the left. On the right, God says, be anxious for nothing, for the Lord your God. Not a single hair shall fall from your head without your father knowing about it. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. How they neither toil nor spin. And yet the Lord your God cares for each one. So if he cares for these things, these, these simple things, how much more will he care for you, Right? Uh, the Lord says, uh, you know, you are not alone. I am there with you even until the end of the ages, right? And, uh, of course, the Lord says, be anxious for not, right? Be of good cheer for uh, I have uh, overcome the world. So here's this person, person X. They're in this state, and here's their answer. Everything is promised to them, and they can have all of these things. And the people that have all these things are not lonely or not depressed or not anxious. So... Why are you in the state? You're missing God. Why are you in the state? You don't understand Jesus Christ. Why are you in the state? Because you have not learned to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your and everything. The vast majority of this world is anxious, depressed, and lonely. Very much. So. Survey after survey, study after study finds that in today's very uh, technologically driven world where we've done so much more than we've ever done in the last uh, century than we've ever done centuries past. So much, so much, accomplished so much, and yet we're still lonely, depressed, and anxious more than any other time in the, in the history of the world when, when these things were being recorded. Why? It's because we've pulled away from the only source of uh, lack of complete peace, of complete joy, of complete calm, and that is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To the point, to the point that most people no longer think he exists. To the point that no, most people have shut him out of their lives if they do think he exists. And why? They don't realize that when you shut Jesus Christ out of your life, you're saying bye to happiness. You're saying bye to peace. You're saying bye to love. You can't have these things. You cannot have these things in your life if you don't have Jesus Christ. But hey, man, wait a second. Uh, I know a lot of uh, Buddhists that are very happy and very content and very at peace. They, you can, they can say whatever they want. At the end of the day, do they have love, pure, unadulterated love? Do they have joy? Do they have contentment? Do they have peace in a way that they, they, they will never never thirst according to the water of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the true water of life, right, that our Lord talks about with the Samaritan woman? No, they do not because you can only get that from Jesus Christ. And this is the problem, that there are people that are in that fountain of youth today surrounded by overabundance of water and they're dying of thirst. There are people in the church today that go every single Sunday 
that are serving, right? That are deacons. And they are dying of thirst. They are lonely. They are anxious. They are stressed. They are depressed. I mean, if you're going to learn anything from the, the 10 episodes that we've done, it, it's, it's this. Without God, you are incomplete. Without God, you are completely incomplete. And everything in the world wants you to forget about God and put them to the side. And when you do that long enough, then they come back and they tell you, well, well, he never existed. You didn't hear a single word from him. Not telling you that you had pulled away from him. His voice is like a soft whisper. You are more distant from him. You cannot hear his voice. Be still and know that I am, the, I am God. Well, if you're all the way over here, he's not going to yell. So if there's one thing you're going to learn, if there's one thing you're going to take away, Wherever you think on your spiritual journey, it's not enough. I don't care if you think you're Muallim, Ustaz, Mahmoud Al-Tani. It doesn't matter. And I don't care if you think you are so lonely, you're so far away from God, that you are the sinner, the sinnerest sinner of the sinners. Right? I don't care. I don't care where you are. You need God. You need humility. You need love. You need peace. And if you're not actively climbing that mountain, you are sliding down. That is the message. That is the single most important message. So you want happiness? You want to stop feeling lonely? You want to stop feeling depressed? Find God. Every single day, wake up. Find God in your life that day. Thank Him. Go to sleep. Rinse and repeat. That's how you overcome this. Amen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of our, not just our episode, but it's also the end of our season. Season one. That's a wrap on the season. So we're going to do something a little little bit uh, different today. We're going to go around the table. And rather than just talk about what you learned today, what have you learned over the capacity of the 10 episodes? What message do you have for our listeners? And uh, uh, what, are you, what are you most excited about? Choose anything. Choose one thing. Choose two things. Whatever you want. We're going to start with you, Justine. <laughs> uh, well, there's a lot to learn about. I think um, one thing that I love hearing throughout these whole podcasts is everyone's thoughts on everything. Um, you know, there isn't one single topic that I think stood out to me the most. I think all of them had great key things to take away from. And, um, I, I think it's just been, it's, it's all, it, it all revolves around the message of draw close to God and he will draw closer to you always. Mark. Uh, something I learned through the whole episodes were life is supposed to be hard, but with God, you can go through it. Wow, that, that, very good. That, that was excellent. Go ahead, awesome. <laughs> How am I supposed to go after that one? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it's been, I feel like there's been like a theme throughout. And we started out with being a stranger in my own church. And we're talking about being stranger, being alone. And we finish up with talking about also feeling like we're being al- we're alone. And throughout the whole season, we're like, you're not alone. We are all here together. We're God created all of us, brothers and sisters to help each other this is a journey of salvation the journey through life is not to be lived alone it is to be lived together we love each other deeply the we are there for each other god created us all brothers and sisters to go together along this path and to reach him and to all be saved together it's it's no good for you to be in a boat alone by yourself being saved you want everyone with you karen 
So we've had a lot of episodes, a lot of guests, and a lot of topics, and there's not a single episode that we didn't face some kind of trouble, whether it's technical or something <laughs> else. Um, but something that I learned over this season is, you know, there's always going to be a struggle, whether that's in your daily life, work, whatever. But if, if you are genuinely trying hard to make it work and you're doing it with love, as we've been saying, then God will help you and you will succeed. Yo, yo. <laughs> I want, like... This feels like a, like the end of like every movie when they give like that like inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> I have so much pressure. <laughs> but let me start off by saying like every every day you wake up, you will be tempted in some type of way. Whether you feel alone that day, whether you feel like you're depressed or whatever it may be. Like nothing is impossible through God and there's nothing you won't face that God can't like solve for you. People just tend to forget like when something happens, they just, nobody thinks of God first. They just, God is always like a last resort. So like if, if you take anything or if I took anything out of this, it's just like to always put your like trust in God and have him be your first resort out of like out of anything else and just see see where it goes yeah i mean well, well said everybody i mean at the end of the day uh everyone is a sinner everyone is a sinner everyone is a sinner whether they realize it or not and yet everyone is called to the grace of god they are called to repentance they are called to live a life filled with god and and no one's no one's not called i don't care how evil you are i don't care how broken you are God wants you. God wants to be with you. And the only way that's going to happen is if you want to be with him. Right? He's already opened the door. He's already ready to accept you. You just have to open the door. And don't let the fact that you're a sinner, and don't let the fact that you think that you're an imposter or that you, you're weak or you don't deserve it, don't let, any, don't let any of that change the fact that you want to be with him and you will do whatever it takes to be with him. And that's the single most important message. Right? Seek Christ actively. It's not something passive. You don't just achieve eternal life. You don't just achieve oneness with God by just going to church and reading your Bible and doing your prayers. Those things are absolutely necessary. They're not enough. You must seek out actively the presence of God in your life. You must invite him in. You must say, I want you in my life and I want you to be pervasive in everything I do and I want to do your will and I want you to help me to accomplish this by reducing my own uh, pride, by reducing my own weaknesses and by strengthening me. Help me. Help me be with you. We forget to do that a lot of the time. We just expect that, you know, we'll just say our prayers and everything will be fine. Prayers are empty if they don't have meaning. So here's a challenge for all of you while we go on hiatus. Between now, as we're entering the Nativity Feast, the Nativity Fast, and, you know, whenever we come back, uh, it would be great if you guys can do one thing, change one thing in your life, remove one thing in your life that's keeping you from God. Just one thing, one thing only. And call God into your life actively as part of your prayers. And most importantly, seek each other out. This community that we have, it's not just a church. It's not just people you see on Sunday, you say hi or bye to. It should be way more than that. And not necessarily in a social sense, more in the spiritual sense, where we're looking after each other, where we're being kind to one another, where we're loving each other. We need more of that. And the more we have of that, the brighter the future of this church will be. And if you're not doing that, or if that, that doesn't happen, ask yourself what the future of this church is gonna be. 
Uh, so thank you again. Thank you so much for everything. Uh, thank you for being uh, part of this experience. It's been it's been a blast uh, to be here with you. Uh, we intend to come back, but it's up to God's will, and uh, we'll see we'll see what God has in store for all of us next season. And remember, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for great love covers up a multitude of sins. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.